You're listening to the Junior League of Louisville's podcast. Dr. Anita Barbie was our first president with a PhD and transferred to the league after joining in Georgia. Anita served during a major transition as we sold our office downtown and tackled families at risk and women's health. She was president from 1998 to 1999. Hi, I have um, Dr. Anita Barbie, and I had Cunningham in here. Are we going by both or just Barbie? Forget them. Just forget Cunningham. Yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Anita Barbie here with us. She was president 1998, 1999. And um, she's past president, and she's going to give us a little story about how she came to be a junior league member. How'd you find the league? Great. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, and the league was a prominent organization in that town. It's smaller than Louisville, but uh, still a vibrant little city. And my mother was not a member because she didn't like meetings. So she didn't she didn't do that, but all my mother's friends were junior league members, and so I grew up watching people uh, run fundraisers and and host uh, different community events, and I thought this is something I want to do. I knew I wasn't going to stay in Augusta, and so I thought this would be also a great way to meet people. So back then, in the about 1985, 30 women convened in a room and grilled me for two hours about who I was, what I had ever accomplished in my life. I was only 25 years old. (laughs) (laughs) What did I know about the community? What did I know about the junior league? Why did I want to join to make sure that I was serious about it? And even though there was probably some not not necessarily positive ulterior motives for doing that kind of grilling, um, I think that it helped me just feel a commitment because I thought this is an important organization that takes themselves seriously. And so I wanted to to be a part. I was able to to join, but I was in the middle of graduate school, and I moved to Chicago, Illinois, after I got married that Christmas, uh, and didn't really want to do the league there because I hoped I would leave, and I did, and moved to Louisville, and that's when I joined in '86 in Louisville. And, and you, became so a you, provisional. you were trained. well, you sought out the in '88. I started as a provisional. You looked for the league, though. I looked for. Well, I was a member. You know, on paper, they had so you just got, were able to transfer. Right, right. I was able to transfer, even though I'd not done anything. I was in the books and was able to transfer into the provisional year. Do you remember who's like the first person you connected with? Um, From way back the then. the leaders <laughs> were Lindy, <laughs> then was Richardson, Richardson yes. Street, and then uh, uh, Cheeky Bob was the president. Yes. And I was on a committee on uh, early child care because mm-hmm. I had just had a baby. And so I cared about child care. And Lynn Howard and uh, Katie Schneider and Emily Lawrence. You met all the big dogs. I know. It's like this committee was full of past <laughs> presidents. And uh, so we did that family daycare project for, for, for two or three years. I noticed that you were on, you were definitely, that was something that obviously spoke to you probably professionally and yes. personally. Yes. Um, on the family daycare project because yeah. I was looking back on that and that's the one that involved the four seats, correct? Yes. And I thought that was a pretty significant project when I was looking at it because explain to us family daycare. You there were there were no state regulations for in-home daycare or right. was it already there? There, there weren't very many, and 
And so some had had some certification, but they didn't have hardly any support, and not, not many people knew about them. They would, people would just call up their grandma or their neighbor, and they didn't realize there was this, this, this certification that people could get, and that made it safer uh, and more educational. So we promoted uh, that aspect of the family uh, daycare program and let people know how to kind of vet a family home to, to see if it was safe and, and productive for children. And then we also just, uh, you know, you ask junior leaguers to, to <laughs> unload all their stuff from, from infancy. You know, we're all young women, and everybody had stuff, a ton of stuff. We filled gyms full of uh, materials to give out to the family uh, daycare center so they could have cribs and, and clothing and toys and things. Now, was so that was that great. closet or area you had at Stairways? Is that... There was oh, some place there where you were collecting things, correct? That, we, or resource center type Yes, thing. there was. And that made, I don't know if that was the first thing, because, you know, I don't know what happened before 1988. Yeah. But <laughs> I know that um, we did fill that area uh, with those kinds of things. I mean, and I think later they, they had another other projects for, for organizations with young women and, and, and had all those those objects there to give them. We were definitely full. I know, we were full. Yes. Um, what a great use of resources. Uh -huh. I noticed that too, though, but I was like, that was pretty significant. I'm like, but here we were. We, I don't know if we had to be involved in the political aspect of it or the public affairs part, but, you know, to take things, in-home daycares were not regulated yeah. to the, what we know now. Yes. That um, there was no structure and, and oversight and that junior league came in and said, well, let's get, I think it was 80 groups or I think yes. we had a target of 80 and mm -hmm. let's get them in the state system and, and make them aware. I mean, that's the, that was a nice little thing during your time. There were many like that, <laughs> I feel fun. like. You had that a lot. Was, that, was a, that was an early entree, and I learned a lot about how to, how to rally people and, and get people involved in an issue they didn't necessarily know anything about. Uh, and people did. They jumped in, and it was fun. I learned a lot from those, those women. That's great. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of big names you had mm -hmm, on there. In mm -hmm. the 80s, so you came late 80s, right. and you were with us pretty much for the, um, all the of the 90s. Yeah. And then, especially 1998, 1999, so you saw the decade and kind of near the end, jumped in. But you've been yeah. in at least 10 years, yes. right? Yes, Before you even were at the president. And That's now right. that is kind of mind-blowing, I think, to our generation. Oh, y'all don't wait that long. Um, you can. <laughs> Anything is possible. But you definitely also have now, definitely you have options. Okay. Um, we've discussed before with previous members that, you know, you had to wait till 40, and then you pretty much were... Back you, were the day, you were pushed out. There was no <laughs> we next that. step. Yes. So you did see that change. That was in our time. era. The 90s, we were trying to blaze trails. We took away that uh, the requirements you had to have a bunch of sponsors to become a member. We took we took away the age limit. We took away, we, we kept lowering the years that it would take to be able to do anything. We lowered some of the requirements. We still kept requirements. We still had to sign into meetings and things. But mm -hmm. we were trying to make it because during the late 80s, all throughout the 90s and beyond, people were shifting from mostly people who only worked in the home to moving towards a good balance. And probably by the time I was walking out, more women were working outside the mm -hmm. home than inside the home or doing both. And so we were a huge transition period and all that. I tried to make it more egalitarian and that's when we had the whole campaign was before me with uh, Lynn Atlas of it's not your grandmother's junior leader, your mother's yeah. junior leader with the pearls and the gloves. Oh, I have pearls on right now. <laughs> I still like them. <laughs> um, I think time of transitions leads us kind of our next big topic is 
the a lot of people are not familiar with stairways because uh-huh. yeah. you know um, when I was president 2012-2013, I was able to get a plaque put down there because I'm kind of oh, like where is oh, our marker here on Main Street? Oh, okay. So um, there were a couple <laughs> others down there. Yes, I was like people walk by this building every day. Leaguers do. Do they know that this is this is stairways? This is what we did. So we did put a plaque on there, but um, I think a lot of people are still unfamiliar with stairways being our junior league headquarters. And I know we were already in it when you came in. Yeah, but you did your whole entire time was spent going to meetings at stairways, correct? Yes, um, it had been around about twenty-five years by the time we sold it. Mimi Martin uh, was junior league president and wanted us to have a headquarters. And this is back in the seventies when women couldn't get their own credit card, couldn't sign a loan by themselves without co-signed by a man, and she went out and found this building that had been a, I think they made hats and it had burned and so it had some issues and she got it for a dollar or something. I mean, but she, I think she had to have a loan to be able to, to do some renovation. Uh, I was able to get it. So it was a big deal, not just to have a footprint on Main Street when nothing else was going on. We were the first but to the really women. start the women organization, but it was women's organization and women doing it mm-hmm. in a time when we weren't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to let that go. Yes, we, we had been there all that time while I was growing up in the league. But unfortunately, uh, there was a, uh, early in my tenure, uh, we were looking at the budget and talking about our funds. And the way the budget was structured, you couldn't tell your uh, cash flow very well. And it just, it's, and no one meant to do this, I don't think, but it was just structured in a way that it was hard to tell what was going on. And I asked a simple question about, like, how much money do we have in the bank? And it was lower than I figured. I, I keep numbers in my head. I, I run a lot of grants now, so I'm pretty good about knowing where my, where, where my number should be. And it was way off. And I thought, something's about $25,000. Something's not right. We have all of our members, they're giving their dues. Etc. And we dug in and looked for about a five-year history and realized we were losing about $25,000 a year on stairways. Because even though we had a business running out of it, we, we had events. Lots of people had their weddings there. It was a beautiful venue. Uh, a lot of great windows overlooking the Ohio River. Uh, we, we couldn't uh, keep enough money coming in to pay for the cost of, of running it. The heating and everything was exorbitant because it was three stories and all great walls. Yeah, it was just lovely, but not very practical. Um, And so we realized, you know, it was a great project. We did a great thing by starting everything on Main Street. That whole renovation started because of us. We had done our duty. Uh, There was also issues of it was hard for young women to get in and out because by then it was very crowded. It was hard to park. Everybody's dragging children along. So it was kind of like we were losing money, we we couldn't move, uh, and it didn't really fit our mission to keep something going forever. I mean, it was great to have a headquarters, but we we could move on and do something different. It wasn't just a space. It was a project. It was an intact. I I understand that. And so, now here's what was tricky about this. This was a beloved building because a beloved person had gotten it. Mimi had died uh, right before this time when we discovered this. So she was iconic at multiple levels. And so when <clears throat> I, I realized this might be an issue, so I called about 100 sustainers to tell them, here's what's going on, here's what I'm worried about. 
you know, I'm, I'm considering, <clears throat> our board's considering selling the building. What do you think? Because uh, I didn't want a mass exodus of all of our sustainers. And they gave a lot of advice. Uh, I had a small group that were her best friends take me to the Louisville Country Club and sit me down and make sure that I was, you know, they didn't know who I was because I wasn't from here. Um, and so uh, I explained the whole deal with those three major points and they got it. They were, they were all behind me. So and the important piece to, I think a lot of people miss nowadays. You had those conversations and you had those relationships. Yes. Probably due to your profession to your relationship. Expert. Yeah, I am a relationship expert. That's what <laughs> that I was saying. a good training for you. Yeah, it yes. was actually. And well, I just knew that they were important. They were our. I mean, sustainer. The word means something. It's that they're sustaining the organization through their, not just their hours, continuing help, but but also through their funds. And they ha they carried that history. And you can't alienate. It was half our membership were sustainers at the time. And we were a thousand members then. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a huge organization. Uh, I, hopefully, the selling of stairways didn't lead to higher uh, lowering of numbers. I think there were other demographics that, that it led was to not that. you. I hope not. But uh, then we took it to the membership, and they they voted. And, and part of the thing they said is, "Don't." And I don't know where y'all gonna move, but here's a here's a message from the past: <laughs> Don't go to the suburbs. Stay in the kind of near in the downtown area. Because again, it's this statement that we're we're part of the commerce, we're part of the world, um, and we don't want to kind of be relegated to a, you know, a, just a women's club uh, in the outskirts. So that was a thing. So we had a, a space downtown on Second Street mm -hmm. for a number of years. That's where I came in. Okay, yes. then we came here to Coast Air, which has been which has been lovely. So, but it was a little traumatizing to have to sit to go from a, a building. Yes. On Main Street yes. in the hubbub that was yes. renovated because it did have the fire damage. Yes. You had a chapel, a yes. little window yes. that's still there, the glass. I think that's Main Street Association, correct? Yes, now. we did have Main Street Association. We worked to get, they had been in our building in that space, and we negotiated with the buyers to keep, keep them, them there. And that's so the that little was, chapel room, right? Yes, glass. So cute. yes. Yes. And then you had another business. You rented out some other office uh, You know, actually, the uh, Center for Nonprofit Excellence was mm -hmm. on uh, one of the floors at the at Stairway. So they, cool. I think that's when they went. I don't know if they went straight to Bellarmine for there or if they had a, a place in between. So It was a very neat building. I did tour when I did the plaque, and I think someone said they're going to have a meeting there. Oh, I neat. think it would be something for huh. to do something back there. Uh, but when I toured it, Morale is that the construction yes. mm -hmm. they've been there the whole time, they've been there the whole time. The uh, wood parquet floor is still there, but uh, it is a storage bottle room. When I toured, uh, um, the atrium looks exactly the same, uh, and uh, the offices in the front, the boardroom, the vault okay. room a lot of those looked pretty huh. much the same because he's I think his office is in yeah. one, but it's um, it's a business that didn't need to come in. And it didn't look like they renovated much. That 80 stairway is still there, oh, the sweet. white that's in so many that's photos, really neat. Yeah. but um. And they were construction yeah. and had architects and things. So I think they appreciated the building. Mm -hmm. exactly. So that made us feel good. And it, it also gave us, you know, some uh, revenue. It was kind of a, a endowment uh, that we didn't really have. So the money from the sale, you know, gave us a cushion. So I think that. And I think that was us. an important part when we talked about the financial. We had touched yes. on this previously was that um, we did have a stairways endowment. We now can get a repair back wall and do some mm -hmm. major damage. It came into play like we do need sustained funds to renovate the space, and then with the cell, they were able to kind of wrap it all up in to make yes. sure we had an operating budget that could yes. provide office space. And right, Second Street right. was not a nonprofit office no, space. No. It was a, uh, um, a business deal, correct? Yes. And then 
I did read too that the the loss of profits. I mean, you were renting it out. You had an entire business going we on did. here of rental agreements yes. and and events. I'm sure many people in the community remember events sure. there. And um, the big part too of your members were no longer really downtown was not always the most convenient. Yeah. With the parking, like you said, the growth, and I thought that was. Very eye-opening that you set an ad hoc committee together. Mm-hmm. Y'all researched it. You did the relationships, the conversations. You really handled it in a, a very diplomatic way. We hope and so. <laughs> I can't imagine having to do that myself. It was Because you have all these goals. You have so much to do. And on top of it, there's this whole kind of crisis it, that yes. we felt like we needed to manage, you know, carefully. So many heartstrings, like you said, attached yeah. to a building. Yeah. That's always hard. Yeah. It's, change is hard, but something that significant that had defined us for so long was yeah. hard. I mean, it's not our only defining, but no, Stairways was, was a big marker. Um, we're currently at Cozair Charities here on Eastern Parkway and, and enjoy this space and this partnership. We have a long history with them. Yes. But um, it's time they need the space for, uh, for the, other things, and it's time for us to, I guess, branch out again down that road. Yeah. Luckily, we know we've been there, done that. That's so right. We can get through this. <laughs> um, yes. Hopefully, we have this as not a, a smoother transition than you, but as smooth as maybe when we can go there. But I did think that was a neat, it gave you a lot of space. It gave you meaning space. I mean, there's definitely some wonderful pictures from that time. Yeah. The 90s, I mean, we were busy. Um, yes. We did a lot. A lot like you said, objects. we had thou, a thousand hands, over a thousand hands. Mm-hmm. Yep. One. We had a lot of <laughs> members. Um, and then I noticed that we did a lot of things. The family daycare, the humor library, the Oak, oh, that's yeah, Oasis. That was fun. Yeah, the uh, fantasy. Yes, the Baptist. Um, we did. I mean, humorous therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we had a couple of touches because we had the humor library, but we also at some point had that junior jesters, the clowns. Yes. I just can't even wrap my yeah, head around people like dressing the arts. up. Yes, it, exactly the yeah. arts. Um, open doors, visual arts. Yeah, and no, that was a really, that was another tearjerker. And that was Louisville, Louisville <laughs> Visual. Visual Arts Association. And what happened, I wasn't a part of that particular project, but um, what happened was the, the members would do art uh, projects with folks who were either elderly or had a disability mm-hmm. or uh, really young children who maybe had some struggles. And so uh, many people who maybe couldn't speak or couldn't, here would express themselves through the art in ways they couldn't in other modalities. So it was a beautiful project that always let, kept us in tears whenever people would uh, show the art or tell the stories of the lives that we touched. I mean, that was probably... <clears throat> that was a neat project. And that did not... We, we turned that one over to the Louisville Visual. I mean, we did. Well, we always do. Yes. I was just going to say why that. That's nobody knows who we are. We <laughs> turn everything over to the next to the next organization. We, we are a, we're a catalyst. I like that. Yeah. Catalyst for change, correct? That's right. That's right. Um, and I was really surprised too when I read early 90s, like kind of when you were coming, well, you were, mm-hmm. you were in, was um, I think we we had so many interest groups. Yes, we did. I mean, were those driven? It sounded like when I read material, what was unique is like members drove that. So if you came in and you really wanted to do yes. something, on, um, you were really big on volunteerism in youth. Like you wanted yes. this whole generation because but you were able to bring that into the league and say and these interest groups homelessness the elderly the arts yes like literacy and you were people could come in and start these interest groups and the league really facilitated that the catalyst yeah that was interesting now uh the upside was everybody could have their interest and and find a group of like-minded people to work on something the difficulty was bringing things to projects 
And so actually around, I don't know, 93 or something, we moved towards trying to have a couple of focus areas instead of so many interest groups. We tried to funnel the interests. And um, that's when we kind of came up with, you know, uh, at-risk families and women's issues. And so we tried to put, find interest groups or projects that would fit under those umbrellas. And I know you took two to heart for your presidency, right? <laughs> Do you remember those two? The two that you, you championed? Um, yours were domestic There's violence. so many. Well, I was like, your <laughs> two, breast cancer, breast cancer. Breast cancer. Breast cancer was and then done you years before violence against women. So yes. you did wrap that up in a, in a broad, but yeah, we did. Little, you had the violence against women and you said we're going to tackle breast cancer, <laughs> which breast cancer during that time, Nant, Race for the Cure, the Keep yes. in Touch yes. aspect of it, the pearls, like you said. Yes. Pearls came back again. Yes. Um, and then the violence against women. I know we had the silent witness. And we've had that for many years, but we yeah. brought them back out. They were kind of hidden somewhere in stairways. So all these, it was these red uh, outlines of women. And on the back were their stories of women who'd been uh, murdered by their uh, partners. And so we would drag these things out and take them to the, you right, know, right. the, you know, take back the night yes. and things. And we, we kind of had that in the 80s, and then they were put away, and we, we pulled them all out <laughs> and started to attend these events again. So we tried to have a rejuvenation. Yeah. Well, I thought that was, I saw that you had um, those two, and those those were big issues, especially mm -hmm. in the early 90s and violence against women and then breast yeah. cancer mm -hmm. in the 90s. That was definitely a big topic. Um, I did really love and still love your your vision, your your tagline, fulfilling our mission one relationship at a time. Well, there I mean, that says not need, right? I mean, one relationship at a time. Hey, it's hard to come up with your message as a president, isn't it? I mean, you write all these wonderful things, but I was like, I read that and I was like, how perfect. I wonder if that just came to you one night or if you had Probably. to spend plenty of time. It um, really always pulled on my creativity. It was fun with these different projects, like you say, the taglines. I just and I, I know when I was reading your bio and reading about that too, um, I can't help but touch on as a that, you know, your story of when you made a little trip in Chicago. I guess it was Chicago, where you met a somebody that was on TV and had a talk show. <laughs> 1996. <laughs> we went on the Oprah show. <laughs> I mean, it's just Oprah. In the 90s. I was like, watching every day. <laughs> you know, I'm this academic and I love Oprah. Uh, what happened was one of the areas of research that my husband and I do is, is to look at physical attractiveness and what makes people attractive and attracted to each other. He's a scholar as well. Yes, we're both. We're both psychologists. And so he got the call. His, you know, he was, he'd done a few shows uh, to come and talk about this research on Oprah. And, and his mother was in town visiting. And he's like, well, my mother's here. And, but, you know, you know, so I'm not sure I can really get away. But my colleague, and we, that's why I like Barbie and let him have the Cunningham so that we don't look like we're married every minute. And uh, he said, my colleague, Dr. Barbie, would love to come. Because he knew it. That'd kill him. He went and I didn't get to go. Yeah. And then they figured out somehow that we were married. And they flew the whole family up. We had two children who were like two and eight. And uh, and, and my mother-in-law and Michael and I went up. And they picked us up in the limo at the airport. And uh, put us up in hotel rooms, you know, next to each other and fed us well. 
They took us by the studio to look at pictures of different people that we could talk about on the show. And then we were on for our 15 minutes of fame. Oh, that's that's super cool. Cool. But you got to go on the Oprah show. <laughs> yeah. You were on the Oprah show. On the Oprah, and talk to her, that, got a mug. That, you said the 90s, correct? <laughs> 96. I mean, 96. <laughs> that's the tape we should find. Yes. We might have to look for that one. <laughs> but I thought that was neat. Was and um, that was, I mean, you were, in the, you were in the depths of junior league yeah. busy work, too, 96. I mean, you were president two years later. So you were up, to, I mean, I'm sure well, you were never stopping. That is true. I saw you were the first designer show yes. house chair, co-chair. Yes, because Alice Frazier had a divorce that year and decided not to do the historic one. He always gave us a load of money to decorate. Vintners would decorate the, the historic home. I like that kind of partnership. <laughs> it was a great partnership until it wasn't. And then I'm scrambling to try to figure out how are we going to uh, fill a house when we have no backer. And so I went down to Nashville, I dragged the kids, and we went down to Nashville to look at their show house. Now, you know Nashville has a little more money than Louisville. Do y'all realize that? It was the biggest thing I've ever seen, but it gave me a vision of what those could be. I mean, we had Bellarmine, and it was great, um, but this was just a different, it was at a different level. Uh, and they also had the designers work together, so it was a theme, so you didn't have the purple room next yes. to the pink room next to the orange room. So I thought, now that would be neat to kind of decorate a home, to look like a home. and to have they kind of coordinate it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's when we realized we should use ASID uh, uh, designers who had that kind of, um, you know, That was a great opportunity for them to showcase yeah, their work. professionalism. Yeah, just kind of up the game. So uh, we were able to pull everybody together, but now was that was a, a challenge. Where the first, house? the one I did was on uh, Lexington Road next to Sacred Heart. Okay. That was the uh, Kathy Campbell's house. Okay. And Je Kathy and Jeff Campbell. And then uh, when I was president, we did Mimi's okay. house. Okay. Which had a lot of Mimi's. meaning. And Mimi's given the North fact Hill. that I had sold her, her oh, house. Yes. North Hill. Yes. 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 There it and is. I have the, um, the booklet still oh, from I'm all the yeah. show houses. Yeah, they were quite they the are. quite the elaborate work. Um, what did what does that even mean? All right, here's what's great about a show house, and I know we only did them for a few years. But what a show house does is is every kind of fundraising under one umbrella. So people would come, you'd sell tickets for people to come for a two week period to come view the house. So that's one source of revenue. We'd have a gala to kick the thing off. There's a, there's your gala. We had uh, workshops where people could give trainings like on how to do a topiary or whatever. Uh, we'd run those. We had um, a little shop where people could uh, buy our cookbooks and other, you know, things. Uh, and so you had all these different, and then you could showcase the projects. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the media, as much great work as we do, they kind of care, but they don't really. But they love something like a show house because there's something visual to look at. Mm -hmm. And that was the way we could get our message out. And, of course, you're, you're mobilizing all these volunteers to do the shifts. So it took a lot of, you know, ways to do that. The sustainers would come out and help. That's how I got to know, like, Puddin' Boat and a lot of really, really, you know, it early was leaders. to a lot of people, yes. Yes. And so it was just great. But it took a lot of work. And, and so... After a while, people were like, we don't want to put this work in for whatever you gain from it. It'd make a pretty good penny. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd net like $70,000. But you would put in. But it was your everything. You'd raise like yeah. 150 or something. So you'd spend half to just run the thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a chunk of change. 
But back then, we didn't think that was that much money because other things could raise more. I mean, Race to the Cure is raising a lot more and things like that. So uh, I liked it for that reason. And I think it put us on the map more, and it's been hard since then to kind of have that, have that same kind of... Signature um, fundraisers are hard. Yeah, they really are. It is beautiful, and a lot of the homes seem to have had some kind of tie to Junior League. Yeah, we had um, Marion Cronin's house uh, back near the uh, the Rock uh, Creek riding area, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, Seneca Park, she's back in there. Yeah. And um, Mimi's was Northfield, Mimi's right? Mimi's Northfield, and then this Campbell. was on uh, Lexington Road, and that was her fourth way. At oh, in Anchorage. Anchorage. There was one in Anchorage right, there, right our, there. Our old house that we used to live in. That's the Anchorage. Yeah, one. that was a beautiful one. So it was really just the Ford designer. And then previous to that, we'd had this historic home. Like, like the White Hall. White Hall, Brennan house, house, and Peterson Dumanil. Which was almost a tie-in to our old preservation. Yeah. We used to have a really big historic preservation. We you know, we did Main Street, so we got all yes. the awards and recognition. Yes. And then we did these show houses that were all... Um, Especially Brennan House. I mean, yeah. I, you still take the tour today, and you're, yeah. you're looking at that going, I mean, it's like it's frozen in time. Yeah. And we did some of that. It was really you know, This and that in Whitehall, obviously. But, um, beautiful. It is. So we did about eight of those. And that was all in that era. I mean, those were, those were 90s. I right remember there. seeing the show house poster on Joni Burke's store in Greek Life at UofL. So oh. I'm in college. And <laughs> Joni was so our, yes, um, she was a panelinic. You know, she was the guru yeah, right. and over student development stuff. And we went in there, and she always had the posters up. And who, I never looked at it, but never thought that you that would be me one day. Coming into the league. Yeah, exactly. We, luckily, show houses, I think, were at the very beginning. When I came in, I think that they just rolled off just like seriously. Because I yeah. went to 2nd Street, and then we came out to Cozy. Yeah. But I, show houses were quite elaborate and neat. And, it, I mean, sometimes it, I look at those and think, Wow, like how did we do that? Yeah. And like you know, you had forty five people huge. on the committee. Oh yeah, it was but you huge. had a thousand people, and yeah. so we had a lot of people to draw. On. It was amazing sometimes what we could accomplish. When I look at the amount of money we were giving or dedicating to kids space, to yep. Waterfront Park, to Ronald McDonald, like the yes. amount of money that we were giving, even for the Westport Commuter Computer Lab yes. at the middle, that's yes. Westport Middle School. Yeah. We didn't necessarily, did not, well, it wasn't our money, but the relationships that we pulled together and formed to get that going. Yeah. Computers. I mean, you know. That was in the early days of, I mean. The 80s. Computers, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, those projects, uh, those big projects like the waterfront and uh, kids space at the Science Center and uh, the uh, Speed Museum. Yes, we Art Sparks. At Art Sparks. Those were also kind of a triangle of us reaching out. We didn't just do those to, to build on those organizations. We wanted, the again, there to be a bigger reach to West Louisville in particular and South Louisville where kids weren't really exposed to science, the arts, and outdoor positive play areas. So that was a strategy not just to be a part of big projects, but to bring in the whole community to enjoy and learn and grow. So those were, we were all really proud of those. I love that. I mean, and to hear the thinking behind it, because yes. you just see on paper the big or see yes. in person the big projects, and you don't hear how that came about right. or what the thinking was or yes. our position. Because you were strategic, yes. Yeah. And I think that's something that we're definitely evaluating and looking for now. Sure. There's different landscape, totally different world, <laughs> of right? Of course. Uh, different new problems. I know. It definitely <laughs> is. I'm sure you can help in many ways. With that. You're still professionally. And you, you yourself, when you talk about the show houses, 
How does that play into where you currently live? You did buy a historic oh, home. Buy I'm, I'm waiting for an invitation. Oh, I know. Well, we're still <laughs> trying to be ready in two thing. years. This is the slowest for a centennial. Yes, we will do something for centennial. That you got it on tape. She's doing centennial. How can you die? All right. So what happened was we, you know, my husband is not only a psychologist, but he's a Civil War uh, aficionado. So he collects Civil War memorabilia. And studies it, and you know, we've got we got as many books on the Civil War as we do psychology. So we have always he's always thought it'd be great to live in a house that was built before 1860, that lived through the Civil War. And you know, periodically we'd look, and but we raised two children, sent them to private school, college, and everything. We were finally done with all that. So this is a crazy thing for people <laughs> our age to do. But this house came on the market. Uh, in April of 17, and because a family had lived there, uh, Lynn Renault, who I think is a past league member, who had gone to collegiate and who had gone to the Kent School of Social Work, where I teach, and got her master's in social work, but she was really more of a historian at heart. She was a history major. And she, um, they had that house for 45 years. And it's, wow. the, it's the first Richard Taylor house uh, that he built, that Zachary Taylor grew up in for about three years of his life, before the one kind of across the way on Brownsville Road. This is in Windy Hills. And so they had oh, three years. Yes, and then Sounds they, because like you know there's a lot of yeah. historic homes back in there. And uh, and so then they sold it to the Rudy family, who then gave it to like a son-in-law, uh, a Hare. And so Elizabeth Hare was there for many years, and her ghost supposedly is in there. <laughs> She's in a blue dress. Um, and so it's it's one of the oldest. It was 1792, so it's just after Locust Grove. It's one of the oldest houses in the oldest house with with private families living in it in Louisville. So I just keep being astounded by the history of it, the, the different things that we've seen as we've renovated it, and just where we're located and how... You, know, you can kind of feel that the town kind of grew up around it. I had not really thought of that area that way, but it makes sense. It's not just because people who have means live along Brownsboro Road. It's because that's where it kind of started, and so it gives some meaning to, to that, that part of the city that I hadn't appreciated. And you are living there currently. We are living there. Residence. We are there full-time now. And we are still renovating. We'll give you two years. <laughs> okay, I you did the it. show house. So you <laughs> You're can do right. This. You're right. Now uh, we we have uh, you know a, a great designer who's who's helping us, and now that we're past the physical changes that we've had to make, we had to build a whole kitchen because there was not a kitchen. Uh, wasn't even detached. I, I don't know what she did. She just had a little a little um, burner kind of. Yeah, she had a sink with a little bit of a cabinetry. Just a, and then she must have plugged in a refrigerator and a stove because the thing was empty. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to build a kitchen. I, I need a place to put my dishes. It can't all be historic. <laughs> I know. It's like, what would Thomas Jefferson do? <laughs> uh, so, so now that all those pieces are done, we'll be able to bring her in to, to do some, some decorating and help us, especially with certain parts of the house, to make it, you know, fitting for wh where we live. <laughs> For where you live within that area, keeping it within that look and feel. We're trying. I mean, you know, it's hard. We can't we'll see wait. We can I'm sure you have beautiful grounds that go with the beautiful Well, house. it is. It's, it's about three-fourths of an acre, and uh, it's she lived it just kind of be wild. 
And so eventually that'll be another piece of it. This is why it might take us two years to get to there, but gotcha. thanks for giving me a deadline. There you go. <laughs> That's what I need. We have put it down. Well, I thought that was um, a neat little that tidbit. Is I mean, you have so many little... Your ties. You, yes. There's so much about you that we can explore. <laughs> But I do, um, I do think your time in the league, you've always been around. I mean, you've definitely stayed and served in an advisory role. Uh, yeah. We're definitely evolving as a league. And you talk about the changes in membership and requirements. Um, they're going to roll out a whole new system, I think, in the upcoming year for our current league members. What uh, always kept you involved? I think it's the combination of, I went to a women's college. I went to Agnes Scott in Georgia. And... I love working with fellow women to get things done. I think we are unique in how we do things and how we get things done. And and so I developed my best friends in the junior league doing these things together. I like to do things. I don't want to just sit around and talk or drink wine or whatever. I like to <laughs> build friendships around common interests and making a difference. And so that was a perfect forum for that. It's not just going to the cocktail parties that we're actually getting something done while we're getting to know each other. And so for me, it was a perfect way to make friends and keep them uh, while also making a difference. And then just our emphasis on the kinds of issues we were and continue to be focused on. I mean, we've done the gardens since then and, and tried to fix the food desert in West Louisville. And so we've always kind of been on the cutting edge of trying to take care of of folks who in, in communities that are that are struggling and trying to bring empowerment to them, and so our mission of both building the volunteers as well as changing the community always keeps me, you know, involved. And the other thing I've learned is that we are a, we are the true learning organization. Peter Sangi, you know, came out with this theory in the in the '90s about a learning organization and that you need to always keep changing and growing and and letting people try things and fail and not be punitive about it, but just letting people do because that's where the things are unleashed. That's mm -hmm. what we are. We are a learning organization. That's You can try things. I'd never done a fundraiser in my life before I signed up for that show house. Now, what a crazy thing for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing to take on some big thing. And it was fun and it was challenging. I learned more than I've learned in anything. So that's what keeps, keeps me involved. And I think that was important for me. I know when I was... Coming into the president role, I came to you as I did many. I, I was like amazed and amazed and in love with the fact that there were so many incredible women on this walls, founders, past presidents, and just move just people and, and the junior league opened that doorway for me. It opened up that opportunity to call and say, Will you meet with me? And you you know, I'm with the junior league. Right. But I'd already known you a little yeah. bit. But um I know I came to you because the other thing is utilizing someone like me. Your profession has allowed you so much knowledge to connect and to give data. I think that was the big thing, too, in the literature year is you were data-driven. I mean, you had data. Yeah. And that's not always something we had or that is easily to obtain, yeah. I feel like. And you had a lot of data and numbers, so you really could impact change. Mm -hmm. And that whole, I think it's come across every time, so that learning. Learning and training just can't get that everywhere. No. And when I'm in the community now, I'm out, I've been on lots of boards since the junior league. I don't know how people run their businesses because they can't necessarily run a board meeting in a way that's really good. And it's junior league people who, who know how to run a meeting and get things done. And so I feel like, I, you know, I, I have two sons and they're like, why can't we be in the junior league? You learn things that we're not getting. 
I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's not a path we're ready to take. You said there are plenty of opportunities for you to obtain these skills. Millions of opportunities, right? Let us have this. That's right. This is for us. Um, but I, I, I hear the training piece a lot. And I think the, the 80s and 90s, that was a big part of our mission, too. Um, we didn't have leadership global necessarily during all that time. Oh, we did. That's how it got Didn't student start at the beginning. It was in the, again, early 80s. Partnership with... Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, we contributed to that partnership. Yes, we did. Um, with Leadership Louisville. Another challenge. Yes, and the Center for Nonprofit mm-hmm. Excellence, you already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were groups out there doing training. In United Way, we were partners with them. We created a, between them and United Way and Junior League, I think it was uh, Cindy Albert that's created a board a board training. The Get On Board? Yes, get, get On Board. On board yes. Because, again, the men didn't know how to run a board. So they had to have junior leaders teaching. We did that. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and those training match. was a, a big component of it. Yes. I, I did see the Get On Board series. I knew we had that, that history somewhere yeah. along the way with Leadership Louisville. Right. And um, you still find our members, obviously, everywhere yeah. and all these things. I think that's something else a lot of people don't discover till they're out in the community is that connection of, you were in the junior league? Oh, I was yes. in the junior league. Yes. Sir? And that common trial of, yeah. Learning as you go. That's right. Right. We've all <laughs> had those stories. Class. Well, is there anything else that you can think of that sticks out? I know that you were new to town, so you obviously yes. met a lot of people who the yes. junior league. Is there anybody now that you can say, I still talk to this person on a regular basis? Oh, yeah. Um, Jennifer Blair and Vivian Ruth Sawyer are my two best friends, and um, I wouldn't be able to survive without them. So. That's amazing. And what kind of impact do you feel like going forward the the league has on you or will have on you. I mean, we're 102 years. I'm excited. We're going to be coming to your house. <laughs> That's right. Is there anything you would like to see the junior league take on or do? And Well, you know, we've got a lot of struggles now. And uh, I was on the uh, the Bingham Fellows class of 14 when we were looking at West Louisville and how to bring uh, prosperity back because it's actually had a lot of prosperity. Mm-hmm. The other thing is our, our immigrant and refugee population. Uh, we're in a time now that they're under siege, and there's, I think our community's been welcoming to refugees. We've got a, probably another 100-year history of that through Kentucky Refugee Ministries and Catholic Charities, and the Jewish uh, Community Center have been bringing refugees for many, many years, and they've become integrated to our community in a vital part, and that's in jeopardy. Uh, uh, with the way the new the laws are and things, I think that the numbers of refugees coming in is is diminished. But really, economically, we need that new blood because we're not producing enough children uh, to do all the jobs. So um, hopefully, we can make make a difference uh, for those for those folks who've really been traumatized. And I think we could bring uh, maybe underwrite some some therapeutic help for the folks as they come in and integrate, and for the children who sometimes get caught up in, they're not necessarily living in the neighborhoods with the best schools. Yeah. And they sometimes get, the, these young people get caught up in kind of rough uh, environments and they don't really know how to make their way. They want to become American and be like Americans and kind of move away from their family of origin. But if you're not kind of in a very positive, nurturing part of America, that can lead to real, real problems because they speak English, the parents don't, they can take advantage. And there's just a lot of issues that I think we could really bring a lot to, to that community that we maybe hadn't thought of. Thank you All for right. sharing that with us.